0: Today's episode is brought to you by The Gallery. Based out of New York, The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. While we're all unable to travel, this is a great way to bring a piece of the world to you. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, The Gallery is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase by using the code 15OFF. That's 1-5-O-F-F. Go to thegallery.com. That's the G A L R Y.com. So your wall will never be boring again. Your host, Greg Rotersheimer, is now a designated financial coach. If your financial situation is causing you stress because of debt, budgeting, or saving for retirement and anything in between, contact me to discuss how I can coach you to financial success. Email me at greg at suburbanfolk.com or call me at 804 804- for a 15-minute free consultation to get started with your plan health, travel, finance, parenting, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. $250 a month into my child's 529, from the month that they start kindergarten, I should be able to pay for 80% of my child's college.
1: Because I don't trust that most people will eat their vegetables, so usually our kind of standard is three servings of vegetables per meal.
0: You take something, like a a two by six, and you cut it with a circular saw. That's like a superpower.
1: Those middle school years are not as fun, but at that age, they're still willing to talk to you.
0: Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm your host, Greg. Today's episode combines two of my favorite topics, travel and finance. Specifically, we're going to talk about travel hacks. If you're not familiar with the term, this means using loyalty programs, websites with discounted flights or hotels, and other ways that you can get cheaper vacations. A quick disclaimer for this episode, these tips are for people that do not have any debt, pay off their credit cards all the time, and are generally responsible with their finances. If you are working your way out of debt or experiencing other financial hardships, don't open additional credit cards. Don't do things that could land you further in debt. With that, my guest is Susie Spatafora. She's a world wanderer with her husband and two sons, except for when she's playing tennis and practicing medicine. And you can check her out on her private Facebook group, Sonic Travelers. Susie, thanks so much for joining the show today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Greg? Doing the best I can. The same four walls, it seems like, with quarantine. But other than that, the sun is shining and I can't complain too much. Do you want to kick us off by giving your background? What got you into becoming such an avid traveler? And then also, when did you first start to get interested into travel hacks?
1: Uh, Well, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I was born in Boston. And uh, my parents were from the Philippines originally. But one of the things that I was definitely appreciative of... Is the fact that since we were in grade school, they used to take my sister and I on trips, and started just around the U.S. to begin with, and then eventually, when I was in fourth grade, we made it out to the Philippines and to Japan. Uh, Philippines is where you know they were born and showed me their home country, and then eventually, as we got a little older, we would go other places such as Europe and even the Caribbean, because a lot of times they would have uh, medical conferences that they would attend there and be able to bring their family with to enjoy both the culture and get the continuing medical education at the same time. I myself am now a dermatologist. So I do the same thing. Sometimes I'll be attending medical conferences and sometimes or actually more these days, a lot of times I'm traveling with my family of two boys and husband just for the fun of it and just to see more and more of the world.
0: Did that always have the financial aspect to it or did that come later as far as a way to Really maximize the experience, financially speaking?
1: Well, my mom had always used this particular credit card. It was her United Airlines Mileage Plus credit card to pay for everything. Anytime we had to purchase something, she would always use that to get the points and the miles. And she also taught us about paying off your credit card. Do not ever carry a balance. And then there would be times where we would always get these free trips because they would put always the spending and groceries on that. And so I learned from that to always use a credit card and get the rewards points. And then when I first started my job, I only had the Marriott Rewards credit card and my husband had something called the Chase Freedom card and that's what we always put our spending on those two simple cards. Then in 2015, my kids were a little bit older and they were easier to travel with. At that point, they were about uh, I think they were 7 and 9 and I discovered this podcast called Extra Pack of Peanuts. Great podcast. And their first initial early episodes were about how to travel hack, how to open credit cards, get the sign up bonus by making the minimum spend, and then use that in order to travel all around the world and do it pretty cheaply. Uh, and you can do it in really, really nice hotels. And you can also do it in very, very small economical hotels. You know, when you have a family of four that you have to pay for for flights, You try to go with the cheap seats most of the time. You know, I'm not one of those travel hackers that are uh, in the first class trying to always drink the champagne. I'm just happy to get from point A to point B using those points. But that was what started my journey. And then I started opening credit cards as of 2015 and 2016.
0: What is your perspective as far as all-inclusive resorts and more packaged vacations compared to... A DIY approach.
1: I think that when you have younger children or if you have like a group such as a reunion uh, and an extended family that might be going, something like that makes uh, an all-inclusive a lot, lot easier because there's less planning. There's more things that you don't have to do with the meals and stuff and you don't have to argue. There's different places people can go. But me personally, I find that I can get more bang for my buck with my do it yourself. You know, just I love reading about locations. I love listening to podcasts on travel about particular destinations that we want to visit or sometimes be inspired to go to a particular destination just because I heard about it on a podcast. I, I heard about an extra pack of peanuts about going to Oman. And then I said to my husband, let's go to Oman someday. And we did. We went over, over the holiday, uh, New Year's holiday this past year using points and miles, of
0: course. (laughs) Well, I would throw you off the show if you did anything anything (laughs) differently than that. (laughs) But I'm glad to hear you make the distinction with the age of your kids because we've been doing cruises more than I ever have in life that I can think of. And obviously, again, with what we're facing right now, you don't even want to say the word cruise because it has such a bad reputation. And even before that, I feel like in the travel world, people would scoff at lifetime cruisers like they're lazy and don't really get to experience a place. And I think there is a little bit of truth in not being able to truly experience the ports of call because you've got this massive humanity that gets off the boat and you only have a certain amount of time to see what there is to see. So I'm very quick to point out that we're doing these cruises because the age of our kids it makes it a whole heck of a lot easier and at least we're able to see some things and once they get a little bit older we'll probably be able to expand out more to that DIY approach and really expand the places that we're able to go well the first thing that i had listed around possible ways to save money and i think it's also top of mind for me with school coming up for my kids What do you recommend as far as the time to travel? And again, the reason I say with kids is because you may be handcuffed by what the school schedule is, but what do you recommend? And also, are there certain ways around traveling at peak times?
1: As far as traveling with your children, I found that we were able to take our children out of school and they not have any repercussions about it up until about fifth or sixth grade. And I remember. My son was a, actually, I think it was a fifth grade and we went to a long weekend over in Montreal and he had to do homework. But ever since we got back from that trip, he wasn't having as good of a time or as easy of a time doing his schoolwork or catching up during that one quarter. So when we started to see it affect their grades, that's when we're like, OK, we're going to plan it all around their holidays or long, longer weekend rather than taking them out for a week out of school or two to three days. Uh, we'll just do like a long weekend where they already have Monday off and leave a little bit early on Friday or just skip one day. So, uh, you know, I think there comes a point where you got to know your children, know when they're going to be stressed because they might be behind or you find out the hard way the way that we did, but it was fun because I definitely am happy. We would took that trip. I remember being on the, uh, double decker bus and we were sitting on the top. My kids were the only ones and we were taking the tour of Montreal and the person who had the mic giving us the tour says like, Oh. Children, no school today? And well, they're learning. This is their social <laughs> studies class, and they'll learn more today from what you're saying on your microphone than what they probably would have learned in school. And then she says, Oh, smart mom, right here. So, you know, so I was going to, I told my boys, I'm going to quiz you on some of the things she's going to ask you about. So you got to listen hard now. <laughs> so I do want to make sure they get something out of it when we take them out of school.
0: Right. Well, Schools take kids on field trips for the purpose of experiencing something new. So to your point, as long as you're able to keep the kids up on whatever they're going to miss, it seems like the experience that they're going to gain certainly makes sense, as long as it's an acceptable plan with what the school happens to be saying. Let me teach you
1: something, though, as far as traveling at peak times, because your kids will get old enough to a point where you start to have to abide by their holidays Summer break, you know, and summer's peak season and flights tend to be expensive then. You know, you have to take everything out of the context of COVID. This is just based on history. Flights are more expensive. Families are traveling. That's when the beach houses are more expensive to rent. But there's something called the Traveler's Traveler's Triangle. And I credit this because I read it on another person's blog uh, to Dan, who writes this blog called, uh, gosh, uh, Points with a Crew. That's the name of it. And the three parts of the Traveler's Triangle is when you're going to travel. The second corner is how much you pay in points or cash for the travel. And then the third place is where are you going to go? So if you can be flexible in one out of those three things, then you can go to somewhere pretty awesome. And when it comes to the peak seasons, like spring break or over Christmas, what I usually will do is I see how many points or miles I have with American or United or my Chase Ultimate Reward points. I see what destinations I'd be willing to go to. And then I just start putting in, what if I go from Dulles airport in Washington, DC to Portugal, or what if we go to Grand Cayman or whatever? And then you see, oh, wow, there's a really good deal that I can travel actually on Christmas Eve or Christmas day. You know, those are sometimes times where people don't want to be traveling because they want to be with their families already by that time. And I can actually get to uh, my certain location that I've always wanted to visit uh, at that point you know so if you can be flexible in any of those three so when it comes to school age children if you can be flexible with where you want to go you kind of just say yeah I'd be willing to go over there uh, this year where we were supposed to go to Buenos Aires uh, from after visiting my parents over Christmas we were going to go uh, Christmas day to Buenos Aires and then visit Uruguay but that unfortunately ended up getting canceled uh, because of COVID, but you know it was a great deal. It was forty thousand per person from the continental U.S. to getting a south down in South America.
0: Is there a sweet spot for how long you need to wait, or how close to the date that you're going to travel to be looking for a specific type of deal? And I guess conversely, is there a sweet spot for booking so far out ahead in advance that maybe the prices are still lower than when most people are booking?
1: Yes so I think that your two questions can be almost combined in one and that number to remember is 330 days because that's usually when at least most American airlines uh, you know United Delta big carriers are going to open up their schedules for next year. So that is when award availability is coming open and you'll see that oh I can go here I can go there because the problem why people don't like to play the points and miles game is when they go to try to book something with a voucher or with their points, it's like, there's nothing available. There's nowhere I want to go when I use these points. But if you can figure out your schedule that far ahead, and I've learned how to do that, then you can be able to usually find seats to where you want to go.
0: Yeah, I think that probably makes sense. Uh, and then did you mention for the being flexible in the deals, is it like two weeks or something like that? Is is that when it would usually come down?
1: Yeah, usually two weeks beforehand, If you're buying an airline ticket, at least people think, okay, this person's getting pretty desperate if they're planning air travel two weeks beforehand, or they're a business travel and they don't have to worry about their budget. So that's when prices start to go considerably high because you got to take the flight. You know, you have to go to that funeral or you have to go to whatever that important business meeting is. But so if you can tie it in before two weeks, you could also use something called Hopper, H-O-P-P-E-R. Have you heard of that app before?
0: I haven't, but my next question for you is going to be, what resources do you use to research certain deals?
1: Oh, okay. So Hopper is one way to get alerted to when is the best time to buy a flight. Now, it doesn't cover all airlines, but at least it gives you a sense of when an uh, airline is dropping their price for a certain place. So what you do is you download the app, you put in the flight that you want to watch, and I used it, for example, to go from Washington, D.C. to Florence, and I was just watching the prices, it'll give you updates. And then it tells you, "Ooh, price just dropped to whatever. This is a good time to buy. And so for the most part, you can trust it. There are times when it can be wrong. And usually it will base it on American Airlines. But a lot of the other big carriers are also going to drop their prices and, you know, try to match that fare. Uh, if there's one place that's uh, having a good deal somewhere. So you can, I, I've used it, I've gotten some really good, Uh, deals and not have to pay with points and miles because the cash price is so good. And Sticking
0: with flights, you and I are in Richmond, which doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of direct flights anywhere. Do you tend to open up the airports that you're willing to fly out of? Obviously, there's a convenience factor when you're going overseas, but do you find a lot of fluctuation in the overall cost to get somewhere?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely so many more uh, places that are available to book points and miles if I expand my search to include the Washington airports, especially Dulles Airport for the international flights. But, you know, sometimes we've gone up to Reagan National, and I still sometimes will put BWI up there. Um, But, you know, if you have, for example, Southwest as your go-to airline, Uh, BWI is a hub for that. So that would be a good place to be willing to travel to. But then you have to deal with the airport traffic and some of the increased prices for like the hotels and other stuff that's around there if you're going to arrive the day before.
0: Which is a good point. I assume that you need to factor in what the cost is going to be for the daily parking, for example. And generally speaking, I think the larger airports do cost more per day, but I know there's other things that you can research as well. For example, if you do stay in a hotel overnight, a lot of the ones that are near the airport offer for you to keep your car there for the week. So, at least you've waived that cost. But overall, it is something to make sure that you understand you may not be getting that much of a deal on your flight if you're having to travel a decent distance and then need a hotel room.
1: Yes, but there's also some places like if you don't want to stay overnight and then park your car there and get that good deal, 7 days of parking with a free hotel night stay. You could go to something like airportreservations.com and places that are hotel airports around that area or even just parking garages like around Dulles Airport will rent out their spaces. And it might be as cheap as $7.99 per day as opposed to the crazy prices that you'll pay at the airport. And you're definitely gonna get a good savings. And then you just use their airport shuttle after you check in at the front and you get the parking pass and you use their airport shuttles to get you to your gate. So if you're not going to stay overnight at the hotel, there's ways to still use the airport parking spaces that they have at those hotels and save money.
0: And also I tend to find, not always, but a lot of times those shuttles are are more reliable than even the long-term parking shuttles, again, depending on how big the airport is. So you might even get a little bit of an extra convenience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, So let's jump a little bit into the credit cards. You've already mentioned a few that you use personally and maybe even bridging this to what we're talking about with flights and loyalty programs. uh, Can you talk about what your strategy is for which cards make the most sense for you to have? Is it using the flight example that you would get every airline's card and use them just depending on who had the cheapest flight and you're still getting the overall points? Or is there a breaking point where you would stick with A certain airline, for example, an easy one, if you happen to live in a city where it's a hub for one of the airlines, it would make sense that maybe you're only using that one because 90% of the flights are there. So, what are some of those decision points for how you choose the credit card points and loyalty programs?
1: So, I think the most important thing, especially for beginners, is to make sure that you start with a program that gives you flexible points. Okay. Because, see, some people love Delta, and I do love Delta as my favorite of the major carriers. But I don't prioritize using my Delta credit cards to gain points. What I will do, though, is use something that gives you a flexible currency. And by that, I mean a credit card company that gives you points that you can transfer into an airline uh, flight miles, or you can do it to a hotel rewards, or oftentimes you can convert those points into straight cash that you use to pay for hotels on the website directly. So that is very important. So Chase, for example, has great travel credit cards that are the Chase Sapphire Reserve. Unfortunately, that does have a high annual fee of $550 a year, but you certainly get a lot for your money if you travel a lot with that one. For those who don't want to pay as much as that, they have something called the Chase Sapphire Preferred. That's a $95 fee. And when you use a Chase Sapphire uh, Reserve to pay for directly or hotels directly using your Chase points, you'll get 1.5 cents per point. So that's a pretty good amount of cash that you can get if you accumulate a good amount of points. Um, and then if you have the Chase Sapphire Preferred, it ends up being 1.25 cents per point. American Express has their membership rewards program. That's also a flexible currency. You can transfer those to Delta. Oh, and going back to the Chase Those transfer to United, and that's why that's important for having that card. You have the option of having United. Um, American Express goes to Delta. Unfortunately, there's nothing that goes directly to American Airlines. You almost have to get the card nowadays of American Airlines in order to earn a lot of American miles. But one of the important things, and you can use this type of hack, is to transfer points to one of the alliance partners or alliance airlines of who you want to fly. And I'll give you an example. I recently went to the Bahamas and I know that American Airlines goes to the Bahamas and had convenient times going from Richmond. But I still ended up using my American Express points to book that because one of the alliance members with American Airlines is Qantas. And it's like, whoa, are you using Australian Airlines? You're not going into Australia? Well, it turns out, if you were to come from Australia and then continue on in the U.S., Qantas uses American Airlines to get you from point A to point B once you enter the U.S. So all I'm doing is booking from Richmond to, uh, to the Bahamas, to Nassau, in order to get to our resort. And it ended up being 12,000 points as opposed to 15,000 points if I were you to use American Airlines miles. So Understanding alliances, and I know this goes to be a little bit deep in the weeds, but those flexible points are worth so much because of not only who you can transfer to with the hotels and the airlines, but also just because you can use those other airlines that you might not ever fly, like Qantas, to go back and still fly American Airlines or Delta or United.
0: I'm going to ask a stupid question here. But to be clear, when you're talking about who the alliances are through, we're not talking about Using the Qantas example, let's say booking a flight that ultimately ends up in Australia and you just don't get on the Australia flight or anything like that. It's just purely who they are aligned with based on, I guess, the business structure.
1: Right. Yeah. So they, there's something called the One World Alliance, and that's what American and Qantas are and British Airways is in that. But basically, all you have to do is you go to the Qantas webpage, you make your frequent flyer account, and then you put in that I want to go from Richmond, RIC. To Nassau Bahamas, um, and it will look up and it'll tell you how much in Qantas miles, and then you transfer that the American Express rewards into Qantas account, and boom, you just book that. So it's it's it ends up being sounding complicated, but once you learn how to do it, and there's an easy easy way to learn. Um, there's something called Juicy Miles. It's a web page that I use, and I'm still learning every time I use this. But it will if you pay twenty nine ninety nine. For a month membership, you just put where you want to go uh, and from what airport, what the dates are, or if you're flexible, and it will tell you what membership rewards or what Chase Ultimate Rewards Point or City their flexible rewards are called thank you points do you use or do you use American Airlines and what the currencies are and how much you would pay in each currencies. And that's how I learn what the cheapest amount is and what I can transfer from. So if you want to learn about this alliance stuff, just go to Juicy Miles, play around with it. Uh, you know it's worth the twenty nine ninety nine investment because I honestly going to the Bahamas recently. I ended up saving twelve thousand miles, which is worth worth at least one hundred twenty bucks. So if I paid thirty dollars for that month to find that flight, then it's it still saved me ninety dollars net.
0: Of course, I have to ask if you're calling any of these customer service numbers, and you're going through these scenarios, do they have you flagged in such a way <laughs> that you know this much about <laughs> what their agreements are and how it all works? No, not so much.
1: Not It's not so much the airlines, but uh, there are certain credit cards that will watch you carefully to make sure that you're not doing too, too much in order to earn those bonuses and things that are considered almost like uh, very, very shady, uh, something that's called manufactured spending where you basically try to buy a whole ton of things like gift cards and then you resell them in order to get the points, but you're really not, you know, spending $3,000 on a United airlines credit card of your own money. You're just buying gift cards and then you're selling them online. So I don't do the manufactured spending. People call that dabbling in the dark arts, but there are places like the American express rat team. Uh, They're looking for abuses in their reward system And they'll cancel accounts if they think you're manufactured spending. Uh, So you do have to be careful with the credit card companies. You know, I I use it for legitimate purposes of stuff that I I have to buy, whether it be for personal reasons or for work.
0: That was something else that came to mind. I mean, you're not listing that many different cards, especially going back to making sure you understand how they can transfer from uh, one company to another. So presumably, if you don't have that many cards, then they probably are being used on a somewhat regular basis. And then obviously for somebody that travels as much as you do, I would assume even more a reason to sort of rotate between uh, the cards that you have. So they're not just sitting there completely dead after you've opened them. And also reiterating, like you mentioned to my knowledge, most of these cards do carry some amount of an annual fee. So it would not really be a good deal if you open the card, use, let's say, what the original bonus was for it, and then it just sat there because you've got the other cards in rotation that do just as much and also are more expandable than, than what maybe an airline card that's just dedicated to the airline would be. Yes, that is correct. Speaking of the bonus points that you would get with a credit card coming out, I know in the initial research I've done, that's something that you will see as far as credit card points programs are concerned that when you spend a certain minimum amount as an introductory offer, then you get this bonus amount. Do you do anything around taking advantage of those programs? Or once you've done that, the credit cards are what you have and you're not necessarily looking to open any others?
1: Well, if there's a really good credit card that has an awesome bonus offer, I have no qualms about opening a new card. I probably have about 15 to 20 cards open. Uh, But, but the thing of it is, is if I'm going to have a card that has an annual fee, I make sure that I'm going to get my money's worth out of that annual fee. Or there's a couple other things you could do is you could also call the credit card company and you can ask them to waive the annual fee. One time I did that for a Marriott visa I had, and I said, you know, I'm not sure I'm getting my money's worth of it. Is there a possibility that you could waived the annual fee, and they said, well, you we can't do that, but we can give you a $100 credit. And the credit card annual fee was $95. So I actually made $5 just in that conversation. Now, <laughs> it's a little bit harder in COVID. If anything, actually, the credit card companies are actually starting to close a lot of cards that have no fee and are not being used. And one of the ways that I uh, prevent that from happening is... If I have a card that I want to keep open because I might need it for some reason or another down the road or because I have a great credit limit and if I close it, it's going to actually uh, decrease my credit score. What I'll do is just put like a $5 recurring donation every few months that goes to, you know, the Haiti Project at my church or some other charity, you know, things that I was going to donate to anyway. And as long as they see that there's activity that keeps people from closing your cards. Uh, for all the rest of them, I always go through every year and make sure that I'm getting my money's worth, whether the free hotels or with the points that I earn and the vacations that come from it. So I tend to keep those credit cards open, but I am always open to opening another thing. One thing, though, that you have to remember, especially for your listeners who may be new to all of this, one of the biggest credit cards that are uh, companies that are great to get are going to be the Chase cards, um, J.P. Morgan Chase. And they have a lot of benefits to it. But the downside is that bank only allows you to open five credit cards in 24 months. And it doesn't have to be their credit cards. If you open five cards under your name in two years, then they're gonna deny you automatically. It's called the 524 rule. So that's one thing that I didn't know from the very beginning. And I was denied uh, one or two credit cards I applied for and didn't realize it until I read a blog about this 524 rule. So that for people who are starting out, a lot of times we who teach them tell them start with Chase cards because American Express cards don't have as as restrictive rules as that same thing with Citibank. They do have their own restrictions, but not as bad as that 524 rule.
0: And it's possible that somebody might even have like a store card or something like that that is administered by Chase, correct? So they might already have one open that they didn't even know about because it doesn't have the word Chase Bank on the card itself. Is that right?
1: Yes, that is correct. And they will use cards and include those at the 524. And in general, I don't really buy store cards per se, unless you can get such a significant savings on it. Like if you're a a target junkie, then it might make sense to open the target red card. But I have other ways of purchasing stuff at Target that I can still maximize how many points I get from them.
0: Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Uh, I still have my Kohl's card that I use here and there, but I think that's about it. And even that one (laughs) is is sparingly. I think there are definitely other ways to get better deals than in uh, a particular store's credit card that you have. So for lodging, you've mentioned Marriott a couple times, at least as far as for the credit cards, what is your strategy as far as figuring out where you're going to stay for travel?
1: Well, a lot of times I'll read the blogs that are around and like to see where other people have stayed and what they recommended. For example, when we were in Malaysia on the island of Langkawi, I read somebody's blog and it talked about this new Ritz-Carlton that had opened. And we were supposed to stay at a different hotel using uh, some type of points. It was Starwood at that point, and then they merged with Marriott. But then I was like, wow, this is a new hotel. It's got a great review. They were able to fit two kids there. And so after I read that blog, I ended up uh, being lucky enough that it was bookable with Marriott points. The other thing with lodging is, especially now in a time of COVID, If it's a super expensive city, especially Europe, you know, where sometimes they won't allow you more than three people in one room, even if it's just children, it makes sense to get an Airbnb and I'll book Airbnbs if it's a good deal, especially if we might have the need for two separate rooms or just because it's a great location and uh, I'm happy to spend the cash for it. You can still earn points uh, booking an Airbnb. But sometimes it makes so much more sense, especially, you know, if people jet lagged in the middle of the night and you're going into Europe, um, or sometimes they're just fantastic Airbnbs that you can. And I've been so lucky that the ones that I've booked have been great. I mean, I, I love just sitting in the Airbnb itself. That in itself was an experience because the one that we had in Florence, for example, you could just look out the window and see the Duomo. And it's like, wow, that's iconic Florence picture right outside our window.
0: Potential added bonus, even for Airbnb, I've only done a few, I've definitely been a late adopter and it's all been domestic, but it probably even gives you a leg up on experiencing the culture in interacting with your host.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was great to be able to talk to them. Um, when just recently when I was in the Bahamas, I was able to talk to our host and she was very helpful and you know, telling us where to go, what to eat, what suggestions for things that would be kid well, in this case, what would be kid friendly and outside patio seating, because we did not want to be anywhere inside a restaurant. You know, we wanted to try something and feel like we were going out, but at the same time I just did not want to be in- indoors anywhere that we could have a higher risk of COVID. Uh, and just uh, when we were in Italy, I remember that Florence Airbnb. Well, unfortunately, my kids are at that age where one of the first things that they ask about when they get to a hotel or an Airbnb is, What's the Wi Fi or what's the password? <laughs> and so when the, Airbnb, st- uh, the Airbnb, st- Airbnb host told us what it was, this Italian guy who owns the property, he's like, Oh, I see you're on Clash of Clans. And so, you know, my 10 year old son is talking to this newly formed Italian friend about clashing clans. And they're like, oh, this is my village. We'll do that. You know, I think it was just cool to be able to, uh, you know, bond with a local that way, uh, as well as get a a recommendation for a great restaurant in that city at the same time.
0: I'm curious. We've talked about couch surfing on the show before. Now, obviously with a family that is out, (laughs) I would imagine. But have you ever tried that out at all? No, I think I've watched too many Law
1: and Order SVU (laughs) (laughs) ever, ever put myself in a situation where I would be on uh, surfing on somebody's couch. Maybe if it was a female, you know, I with a lot of good reviews, and I look stronger than they did in their picture. (laughs) But aside from that, I don't think I would ever couch surf. Unfortunately, at that age, where I don't have to do Uh, anything like that, or hostels anymore. I mean, unfortunately, in my line of work, I've seen people come back from Europe staying in hostels, and they've ended up with like scabies. So after seeing that, it just uh, was not something I have to do, especially when you have the credit card points and the miles to be able to book nicer places.
0: Yeah, and plus maybe the money, I guess, that you're saving from there, uh, you may end up paying in doctor bills, <laughs> quite literally.
1: Yes, exactly. Or just
0: the PTSD <laughs> from acquiring
1: uh, all the itching and stuff. <laughs>
0: right, exactly. <laughs> so we talked about some of the resources that you use for your research. Are there any others that you use as your go-to? For example, when you mentioned the last-minute deals and being flexible, Travel Zoo is one I've known about for a long while. And of course I get their emails about, uh, Hey, in a couple of weeks, there's this package or anything like that. Do you use a site like that? Or are there other resources that you would point people to?
1: Yeah. Uh, there's something called the flight deal. Uh, have you heard of that one? I don't think so. Okay. So it's a newsletter that you can subscribe to. It's for free. And the nice thing about the flight deal is it basically looks at algorithms and when prices drop or there might be something called a mistake fare where somebody just happened to type in the wrong fare and it ended up being a really, really good deal. Or if there's a big fare war that's going on between the airlines, it will alert to you saying this is a really good deal and they'll break it down by certain cities. So this one is coming out of people coming out of Washington, D.C., Chicago, and it'll tell you if it's basic economy or if there's some good like business class seats and stuff. And that was what we used. For example, we happened to notice on a flight deal that there was going to Paris from Washington Dulles. You could take Iceland air and get a really good deal for what was almost cheaper to than going across the country. And we ended up going to the French open that year. So what we would have paid for flights just to get to Paris, we were able to spend on the tickets to bring my family for to watch the French open tennis tournament. Uh, but that one is a nice one to use. Um, Other things, I use a lot of blogs, especially, for example, the Points Guy. Uh, There's one called Boarding Area and another one called Doctor of Credit. And that truly alerts you to a lot of deals. Uh, In particular, one, one called Deals We Like. It used to be on Boarding Area, but I think she's online and her name is Jen. And she basically lists every travel deal that's out there. Everything from an American Express offer that you could add to your credit card to like, you know, Southwest has a new credit card that has X amount of points. And this just came out this week, you know. Uh, So if you look at deals we like, and there's a a certain tab that you have to get to seeing all of the deals all at once, but it's a really, really good resources. It has summary. So, you know, people have done the work for you. All this, all these travel hackers make it so much easier but, you know, people who are just starting out can just go to deals we like and be able to see, wow, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. Like almost overwhelming. And like, how did I not know this
0: before? Well, actually, one other one that I'm curious if you use at all or not for sites like Priceline that have the bidding. I know there's companion site is not the right word because I'm sure uh, Priceline probably doesn't like these, That but people will post and say, oh, well, I put in these parameters and here's the exact hotel I got, which you're not technically supposed to know do those sites still exist
1: yeah it's called bidding for travel and don't think because i've tried to do that and i used to bid on priceline to get a pretty cheap deal but last time i tried to find it it was so hard to find where you could bid but one thing that you could do on priceline since they they really don't do that in the bidding for travel anymore um but you can look for their secret type of hotel they won't tell you the name but it is one that's usually listed in the area and then the number of hotel stars that and the amenities you have. So what you do, I think they're called express deals or something, but you look at the amenities of the hotel and the general neighborhood, and then I match them up with the other ones that they reveal on the regular Priceline site, okay? because you can tell by the number of reviews they had and the number of their stars and if they have a free airport shuttle and stuff. And most of the time, it's so easy to figure out <laughs> which one is the hidden hotel that's going to be like 20 to $50 cheaper than what the price is when they reveal, when they truly show these are the hotels that you can get from Priceline and this is what it is. So I, I'll do that. And I've never been burned yet, knock on wood, so far. with I've, I've always been happy with the hotels that I've gotten and saved at least 20 to $30 doing that.
0: I have to tell one quick story on my brother with Priceline. I did a lot of that kind of research and said, here's the hotel you're probably going to get around our house. It was for a baptism for one of our kids. So he went to go do it and he ended up getting a much, I mean significantly less uh, attractive hotel. I'll just say that. Oh, no. And I was, I was really embarrassed. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, this is not really in a great part of town. I'm not really sure what their experience is going to be like. So when they eventually came for the baptism, my other brother let slip that he changed the star rating down I, at least one full star, if not two, for what he was willing to take. I'm like, well, of course you didn't get the thing. That I told oh you. no! <laughs> oh well, you know. <laughs> so at least it made me feel a little bit better. But I was sort of shaking my head. That, uh,
1: well, this, did he, he, he get bed bugs from the place?
0: Oh, uh, thank goodness. No. <laughs> okay,
1: good. Well, at least your wife can treat him if he did.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And she'd be, you know, giving him a stare the whole time <laughs> she would anyway for, for being a little bit too cheap. <laughs> uh, do you, uh, one last question on those third party kind of sites relative to loyalty points. Um, is there any kind of hack for booking on a site like that, but you still manage to get some of the reward points that you would by booking directly with that specific hotel chain?
1: Yes, you can use uh, travel portals and, and shopping portals. Are you familiar with Rakuten? Or, yes. It be called Ebates. So you can use that, for example, to go to the Marriott site or go to Priceline or go to hotels.com and accumulate points from whatever portal you end up using. So if you do Rakuten, then you can get cash back there. If you use the United Airlines Mileage Plus site, then you'll get United Airlines Miles. Um, you know it all depends on what you're trying to score, and a lot of times those shopping portals will have bonuses too. like right now you can get an extra five hundred points if you go on the American Airlines shopping portal to reach a certain website and The easy way to figure out what's the best deal to maximize those points is using a website called cashbackmonitor.com i 'll always go to that first. Uh, for example, I had to buy a washer and dryer recently big purchase. So I went to go look on for Lowe's and I went to cashbackmonitor.com, checked on Lowe's and tried to see who had the best deal to order online the washer and dryer that I wanted. And uh, I think I ended up using the Rakuten site. So that's a uh, and then on top of that, I bought gift cards at the grocery store, which got me 4x on gift cards for Lowe's. So uh, I put that in when I was paying for it and maximized the fuel points I got over at the grocery store the 4X on the American Express gold card that I used to buy some of that. And then on top of that, ended up getting all the points on the uh, shopping portal site. So there is a way to what we call stack everything that you're doing, you know, do one thing after the other. I don't want people's eyes glazing over when they listen to us and they, they learn little by little. But slowly but surely, if you remember those particular sites, cashback, monitor, you know, the flight deal and things like that. And it all starts to come together.
0: Are there resources that can consolidate all of the accounts and points that you're using? So for example, thinking of the investment world, there are certainly plenty of apps out there that you can link all of your investments and bank account and debts and so on and so forth. So you're going to one place and you're not logging into all these different things. Does anything like that exist when monitoring your points?
1: Yes, it's called Award Wallet. And uh, I use that. The only thing is you have to have be okay with basically giving your passwords right. to your credit card things and to for your uh, frequent flyer numbers to award wallet. And so that's my easy way to see not just how many credit card points, but I think if you pay for like the – it's free for the regular uh, app. But if you want a more advanced app, they'll also tell you when your credit card points are going to expire, if they expire. Um, or when your airline miles are going to expire. So when you need to have activity into that account. Um, So, yeah, I use that one all the time just to check in on how many miles I have or how many points I have for each program. And then you look at it and you're like, wow, I have a lot of miles. Or, ooh, I need to get started. on working more at this particular program so that I can get to from point A to point B. Because Delta is the only place that flies to point B.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So that way you can sort of stack where you need to, not to use the same term that you just used for <laughs> for stacking. So I think I'm starting to get it a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. And here's the question: I think I know the answer to. Uh, if, if for somebody that's getting into these hacks, do the benefit of a travel agent kind of end up going away? Really, for no other reason than you've got to really follow through with all of the different point systems and ways of getting good deals that wouldn't necessarily fit into what a travel agent might be doing for you to try to streamline the process?
1: Uh, No, I think there's always still a use for travel agents. For example, if it's someplace that you're really not that familiar with, or for things like a, a destination you're not familiar with, or for cruises. Like The nice thing about using travel agents for cruises is they often know the boats a lot better because they're always selling that boat. And they'll tell you, no, you, if you're prone to seasickness, you want to be on this deck, or you don't want to be over here because it's close to the room where they do the late night ballroom dancing and the, you know, party, uh, the white party on the ship's deck. And you'll be able to hear the noise from there. So I do think that there's definitely a role for travel agents. And one of the travel agents that I use a lot is actually Costco. I think they have a lot of good deals on the Costco website and they have, uh, you know, they're, they're, I don't know if they're really truly travel agents, but when I've talked to them about booking cruises with them, they certainly know their stuff. And, you know, if the price goes down on a cruise from what you booked, then you can always rebook it at the cheaper uh, amount. So that's who I've used the most. I know my parents use travel agents a lot. And part of that is because they don't want to have to deal with all the details. They want somebody to just plan it for them. And I totally get that. You know, I love this stuff. I love researching it. I love listening to podcasts on my drive to work to learn about certain destinations and live vicariously through them. And then think one day I'm going to go to that place. You know, But some people don't want to have to do the research and they'd rather just have somebody do it for them and put their trust in them. And I think that that's reasonable to use a travel agent in that case.
0: I wonder how flexible a particular travel agent would be in also accommodating the certain flights that you want to take based on the points that you have or places to stay, presumably, especially if they're independent, I would hope that uh, it would be somebody that would be able to work with you in that way. And then, like you said, give you some expert information, especially if it's an area that you haven't traveled to before. And you said the magic word, Costco, (laughs) Uh, you know, for, for, My daily life. Everybody says I should just go be a Costco employee because that's all I talk (laughs) about all the time. So, yeah, I I generally trust almost everything that they put forward, and we've had really good luck. I think with uh, the couple travel packages that we've done with them as well. So I'm all about uh, what Costco does. What you mentioned living vicariously through the podcast and and places to be able to travel to. And of course, you've mentioned many, many places that you've already been to. Uh, What are some of your favorites for yourself? And then are there any that you would recommend everybody put on their bucket list to try to travel to?
1: I definitely think Hawaii is one that's always going to be on my favorite. And I think everybody should put on their bucket list. You know, the nice thing is you don't need a passport to get over there. It is gorgeous as far as the scenery and the volcanoes and, you know, just the different types of islands have their different personalities. And it is a place that you can book easily with flights, with the points, as well as the hotels too. So I keep going back there and I'm one to always try new things. But if somebody tells me, hey, let's go to Hawaii, I'd be like, okay, twist my arm. I'm happy to go back. People so back and, and so friendly over there. Uh, I love Europe. I love the cities and I love how easy it is to get from point A to point B using their rail system or, you know, uh, just driving over there or or flying even the short flights because they have really, really cheap flights. Unfortunately, people seem to get in fights a lot on some of their cheap carriers over there. But, uh, you know, my favorite thing is to just sit on a sidewalk on a cafe and have a cappuccino and then just either watch the city wake up or to people watch and see people next to me. Uh, I just love going to places like that. Uh, We were supposed to go to Portugal this year. Unfortunately, that got canceled, but I had every plan just to sit and write my travel blog at a Lisbon cafe or in the Airbnb overlooking the city of uh, Porto. And then I I love New York City. Uh, I go back almost every single year. Uh, That's where I lived for a year when I was an intern in medicine. And It still has new things that I'm learning about. There's a lot of free stuff you can do in New York too. Even though it sounds like an expensive city, you can book hotels pretty cheaply if you know where to look or when to go or just use your points or free hotel certificates for some of them. Uh, They have great food over there. I'm not a foodie, but I still love going out to eat when I'm in New York City. I love the coffee from the coffee carts. And even like uh, after I lived there, there was this coffee shop that I used to go to all the time Fifteen years later, I went back to get my typical coffee that I would get, and the guy even still recognized me. He's like, "Hey, I remember you. You were an intern." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And he's like, "Look, almost the same." (laughs) So I think it's neat. It's such a big metropolis, but people still can get to know you in your little block or your little bubble. You know, Um, as far as must see, gosh, you know, it, it all depends on the person and where they want to go because what people love about europe is what other people might hate about europe. Uh if you're a beach person, uh then obviously some place like Hawaii is going to be great. I do love the Caribbean, especially the ABC Islands in you know, Aruba, Bonaire and Curacao and that's also because we're a scuba diving family. But for people who don't like the ocean or they don't like the heat, and I know I know a lot of people who don't like that, they definitely should see Canada. I love Canada. Uh It's easy to get to from the U.S. if and when they open back to us. The people there are just so friendly. Uh, They are so nice. And the children have always stuff to do in all the major cities that we visited in Toronto and Montreal. And we're supposed to be in Vancouver in three weeks, but that's not going to happen. So it's a great place to visit and so diverse in the same way that the United States is. It's just, you know, obviously nicer to visit in the summer than in the winter. I would
0: imagine so for that. And of course, as you know, uh, we were going to be in Vancouver right around the same time, but we're not going either. Oh, that's
1: (laughs) right. Yeah. So,
0: you know, misery loves company from that standpoint. I guess everybody's in the same boat there. Well, let's talk a little bit about the current state of travel or lack of travel. Do you have any predictions for when maybe things will start to open up again? And then do you also see some lasting long-term effects or lessons learned from the pandemic?
1: I was listening to another podcast earlier today and I heard that things might not get back to the way it was pre-COVID days until 2024 as far as airlines and flights. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I, I don't think people are going to be comfortable with traveling so much on airlines and staying at hotels or going abroad until there is a vaccine. So at the earliest, that's going to take us to the beginning of 2021. And even that, you know, you still have to wait to get that herd immunity so that uh, even people who weren't immunized, hopefully won't have as much of the risk of being sick. But uh, gosh, you know, as, as far as what's going to go on, uh, people are not going to want to open to Americans anytime soon. And uh, right now we don't have any rain. It seems over, the rising numbers of COVID cases. So, you know, until all that starts to go down and we're at a state where we're like Australia or or New Zealand and have things under control, you know, it's probably going to be closer to the end of next year where at least maybe feels like normalcy, you know. I think that we're definitely going to do a lot more road trips. Uh, I'm sure hopefully you guys have. Road trip. To, people are renting RVs. I'm too scared to drive an RV. I think I'd end up accidentally driving over some little punch bug on the left side or something, or crashing it. Uh, there's definitely going to be a lot more Airbnb rentals because people are not going to be wanting to be in hotels that other people stayed in. I could still go to hotels, but I wipe it down like somebody with OCD. My my wipes. I have sticking out of my backpack. The hand sanitizer. I clean off every single thing that could be contaminated in the hotel and also try to stick with hotels that have left their rooms open greater than 24 hours there are some that are out there if, if you can find those you can't always find them but it is nice to find something that leaves their rooms open
0: uh, yeah and i generally agree with all of that maybe if i can pick out a theme when you're describing some of your favorite places to travel and the experiences are the people like you mentioned in new york or like you mentioned people watching when you're at a cafe and i, I find that when I think back to the big vacations, the special vacations that I've done, most of what I remember are interactions with other people or uh, learning cultural things as compared to, let's say a, a full day of museum going and, and sightseeing like that. It's cool stuff, but at least for me personally, being able to make connections is the things that I think last and, My silver lining really forward future uh, scenario is as working remotely and being flexible with that may become more and more the norm, maybe people's version of vacationing Become stretched out more than the American version of I take a week or two and I see everything I possibly can see as quickly as I can and then I come back and need an extra day just to get back into the swing of things because I went and tried to see so much. So,
1: oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, because people can now become digital nomads with their work. You know, you are stationed at home, and as long as you have Wi-Fi access, who's to say that you have to stay at home to be able to still do your work? You know, you can do it from that nice Airbnb or you can do it from whatever city in the U.S. you haven't visited yet that you want to go to. Uh, There's that huge digital nomad culture and just learning to work off the laptop, you know. I would love to be able to do that, but I can't for for my line of work, you know, as you can do some things that are in dermatology over the internet, but, you know, I I definitely do much better with face-to-face. But yeah, and the people interaction with the digital nomads, you know, they're a very tight-knit community. And back in the day before, There was COVID. They used to go into all these co-working spaces and just go to that particular coffee shop or go to that WeWork place and be able to network and meet with other people that way. And you make lifelong friendships that way. I think it's awesome.
0: That would have a lot of benefits, and you're right. Uh, telemedicine probably isn't quite to where it needs to be. That you could join that community just yet, and then I get really scared and say, "Hey, even when it gets to that point, is AI going to come right behind it?" And that's a whole different set of problems, right? That's right. Terminator. <laughs> they're
1: gonna. <laughs> they're yeah, gonna eliminate right. all. That's right. It's all over
0: anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um Well, and then also, you have a very particular story as far as traveling during quarantine is concerned. I know. You just took a trip to the Bahamas that was affected by lockdowns. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? And uh, what was it like, I guess, getting the notification that you had to come home early? And how did that all play out? Well, first of all, it was a
1: trip that obviously was a points and miles trip. And that's why I booked it 330 days out when the airfares open. And we're like, oh, let's go scuba diving in the Bahamas next summer. So we already had it booked pre-COVID. And then we were wondering whether or not we should go, because almost all signs pointed that you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. Um, You know, the Bahamas was, for the most part, closed to the U.S. for a while. And then the place that we were originally going to stay at, which was the Grand Hyatt Baja Mar, which I booked all on points, and we were going to have access to their club room using the points, they ended up closing, and they're not going to be open until at the earliest October. And then also, we moved our reservation over to Atlantis. It's a Marriott property, so I was able to use Marriott points that I had in some free hotel night certificates to book it. And then they ended up closing. <laughs> and then so my husband and I were like, maybe we shouldn't take this trip, you know? And But we were, we we're rationalizing and we're thinking there's only like 149 cases of COVID there. And here in our county, there's probably 149 just in the X amount of people who are going into the urgent care centers and stuff. Who knows, you know? I don't know what the statistics were at that point, but there's definitely much more exposure to COVID here, where we are living in Richmond, than down in the Bahamas, you know. So we got there. Uh, it was la- about two weeks ago. Uh, we flew in on Sunday, July nineteenth, and we just, des- you know, we had decided to go. We ended up booking an Airbnb, and we we're going to self isolate on the beach, except for when we were going scuba diving, and then like the one or two times we went out to eat at outdoor seating places. So. When we arrived that about three, four hours after I arrived, I get a call from our Airbnb host and she says that the prime minister just had an announcement and they're closing the country to all U.S. now. So that means there will be no more incoming U.S. airlines as of Wednesday. And we were had just gotten there and that meant we were going to have to have just uh, three nights over at the Bahamas and then come right back. Because you know, there was, if there was no incoming flights, I was like, there's no way we can get out. So I ended up having to change my flights. Originally, they were going to be on Wednesday. But then I got an email on Tuesday from American Airlines saying, our last flights are actually on Friday. And so I was like, okay, we can get at least two more nights out of this. We were supposed to be there for a full week. At least we can get five days. And uh, we were able to push our flights. We ended up you know, having to come back early. at least we got there and it was a lot of stress, you know, on top of that happening when we got there just to get approved to get there, because in order to be accepted into their country, you had to have a negative COVID test that was the PCR test that was no greater than seven to 10 days old. Then after you got it, you had to submit it to their website and it be approved and it could take as long as 72 hours to get approval email that says you are cleared to go to the Bahamas. Without that, you were not allowed to leave, and they were going to check that at the airport. So you know how long it takes to to COVID test. You know, you're hearing about all these stories where it's taking 10 to 14 days. At least we know one clinic here, at the turnaround time, we talked to the owner, who's a friend of my husband's, and he says, right now we're getting our test back at a 48 to 72 hour. So we're like, okay, if we time it for getting them on Monday, then we should get the results back by X amount. And then it turned out that it was always the longest amount of time that they said it'd be. So it took 72 hours to get that COVID test back. And then for the reply from the Bahamas was 72 hours to finally get the yes. And our flight was supposed to leave at 6 a.m. out of Richmond on Saturday morning. We got the yes at 347, I think, uh, from the Bahamas, that email. But at that point, I had already pushed my flight by one day to the Sunday because we're like, I, I don't want to be stressed out. I'm just going to push our flights and not have to worry about, are we going to the airport and not going to have this in our hand at that time? So it was pretty stressful <laughs> and having to change the flights. I had to change those Qantas flights that I had booked and I couldn't really understand the Australian accents very well. <laughs> I was like, Repeat yourself. You know, when I talked to British Airways or Virgin Atlantic, I was like, I'm sorry, can you repeat? It's a really, really heavy accent, even though it's English. Sometimes it can be pretty heavy. But it, it, it was a lot of work, a lot of determination. I'm glad that we went. It was very relaxing once we got there. You know, it was empty because there were hardly anybody there since Americans make the majority of the people who go there. So the dive boat was pretty empty when we went. We had this huge 50 foot boat, and there was only us and probably one other family a lot of the times when we were there. And then at the pool or the condo that we were at, I was sometimes the only person that was there. It was beautiful. You know, I loved it. It was perfect for COVID isolation barely saw anybody but uh you know would i would i plan another international trip right now oh hell no (laughs) but not not until this stuff goes away
0: Uh, yeah well i think you hit the nail on the head as far as the stress is concerned of if you're having to have all of these things in your mind it's probably going to be a downer or at least weighing on you if something else is going to happen or so on, which of course is not really the point of travel and vacation. So uh, kind of counterintuitive there, but glad you made it through it. And uh, at least if nothing else, hey, it's an, another story that you'll have that you go, you'll be able to tell. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was fun and we didn't get sick. I mean, we're almost two weeks out, knock on wood. I mean, hopefully I'm not one of those asymptomatic shedders, but uh, as far as I know, we're we're staying pretty healthy. I mean, because we have pretty much avoided people in a place that had less cases. So, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens for the next few months. Hopefully we'll all be back uh, to traveling sooner than what I expect.
0: I think for any of us that really uh, value our travel, we are keeping our fingers crossed. I guess this is definitely the definition of hope for the best and plan for the worst as far as when to Uh, really start to make some more plans forward looking into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, one of the nice things about that is we have discovered a lot
1: about Richmond that we never ever knew about in like the last 15 years. I finally got to go on something called the Capitol trail and ride my bike, you know, on it, uh, which I've always been planning to do, but I never did before. Uh, We bought a Virginia state park pass and we're, we're going to the state parks and trying to get our money's worth out of that one year pass and, get to the far reaching corners of Virginia that we never would have thought to explore just because we can do it now as a day trip and be able to be outside and avoid other people for the most part that way
0: just like when the downturn for the economy was and the term staycation probably was first coined <laughs> it's <laughs> probably a, a good idea to yeah look in your backyard so to speak to see the things that you haven't necessarily done and there's probably plenty of things where you live that you've just ignored before cuz you're sort of looking beyond it. Well, this is all really great information. I know it's a lot of information for people that are completely uninitiated to the travel hack world. So Susie, if people have questions or want to learn more, how could they go about contacting you or other resources they should be looking for?
1: Well, the easiest way to contact me is to get on my private Facebook page. It is Sonic, capital S, capital O, capital N, capital I C. Uh, travelers. And then if you ask to join, then I'll just let you into the group. And as long as you're not a troll, you know, then you can stay in the group and learn. And a lot of them are just trip reports of places to stay or how to use this or, Hey, here's a great special. Um, or Hey, it's Christmas shopping time. Don't forget to use this travel portal right now. But, uh, the other way is I I am on Instagram. Uh, It's mostly my travel photos and more scenery stuff. Uh, and that is Suzy Spad, S-U-Z-Y-S-P-A-D. So that's the best way to contact me if they have any questions about some of the things that they heard about today. Uh, I developed that Sonic Traveler's private webpage just because my friends kept asking me, hey, uh, how do you do this? Or what do you suggest as this credit card? And a lot of times I've already talked about the stuff with other people. So I just started writing the answers down and posting it as an answer on that Facebook page So that the next time somebody asks me that question, all I have to do is just tag them on that entry and they can read my entire comprehensive response to
0: it. And plus, I'm on there. So, you know, you can come and hang out with me. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You can get to Greg that way too. (laughs) Which, you know, that's worth the cost of entry right there, I'm sure. (laughs) Cost of entry being free. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, Susie, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today and we will be in touch. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be notified of future weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button. If you'd like to help us even further, visit SuburbanFolk.com and you'll find a donate button where all the money goes back into the show for you. Thanks for listening. Suburban Folk is part of the Pod All The Time podcasting network with 12 other great podcasts. Head over to SuburbanFolk.com for links to their shows. We're also part of the Ring Media Network. Go to RingMedia.com to learn more. That's R-R-I-N-G Media.com.